It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. this week is a perfect example of what life as a prosecutor was like. You meet people who amaze you with their courage and their conviction and their character, but you wish you'd never met them uh, because you met them because of a tragedy, because something bad happened. Someone did something cruel and painful to someone else. And that is how I met Rebecca Howard. She's the aunt of Tamika Houston, who is a beautiful young woman who went missing in Spartanburg, South Carolina, my hometown. And I met Rebecca through that process um, and have continued to follow her and her career. And uh, life has brought us back together. With that, Rebecca, thank you for joining us. How are you? Uh, doing well. Thank you for having me. It's, it's good to see you after all these years. All right. I want you first to tell us about yourself, and then I want you to tell us about Tamika. Sure. I am a non-practicing attorney. Very early on in my uh, legal career, I decided that it really wasn't the path that I wanted to take. So I really was drawn more towards uh, publicity. And I became very interested in sports and marketing PR. And that's kind of the path that, that I took for myself throughout the years. Um, but I had that background in law and um, was a practicing Publicist uh, at the time when my niece went missing in May of 2004. Um, Tamika is my was my niece, but there's only a seven year age difference between us. So she was much more like a little sister to me than the traditional um, aunt niece relationship that you had. I really, I very much felt like she was just a younger sister to me. We were extremely close. Tamika, although she was born in Washington, D.C., she grew up back and forth, I would say, but she spent a lot of her uh, younger years in Spartanburg. And then after graduating uh, high school in Virginia, she ended up moving back to Spartanburg, where her father was um, still living and a lot of her uh, family members on that side of the family were living. Um. So uh, Tamika suddenly disappeared. It was May of, uh, like I said, 2004. And it was probably the, uh, I would say, the most difficult thing that I have ever experienced, my family had ever experienced. You know, you have three children of your own. My wife and I have two, and they're a lot older than yours. But even... When you when we will send a text to one of our children, there's a certain amount of time that passes before just a little something starts to creep in to your mind. It's been an hour. It's been two. Hours. When did you know? I mean, look, she, Tamika was a beautiful, vibrant, talented young woman, but mm -hmm. she didn't have to check in with anybody on a regular basis. Something triggered to you, this isn't right. 
Well, Tamika was in a unique situation because she was 24 years old, living in her own home alone at the time. She was not working and she was preparing herself. She was trying to get back into school. And that was her her intention to uh, hopefully begin that actually that summer, begin school again. So she didn't have a. Uh, you know, a job that was looking for her to come in that morning or classes that, you know, if she didn't show up, um, there was automatically going to be an alarm bell or a roommate who didn't, you know, who knew that she didn't come home this particular night. That didn't exist. Also, Tamika was very much a a free spirit. It wasn't uncommon for us. We talked often, but it wouldn't be uncommon for me to not hear from her for a week or two weeks. And then maybe if there was a period going on, something particularly going on in her life or my life, we may check in more regularly. But in this particular instance, um, I think it was over 10 days that we didn't realize that she was missing. We just didn't realize. And I think there's also an expectation. We have a very large family. So I'm I'm one of eight brothers and sisters. So my sister, Gabriella, who is to me, this mom, um, I guess we just always assumed someone was in touch with, with her. So if I didn't talk to her, her mom was talking to her or, you know, her aunt Holly or her uncle prize. That was just our family dynamic. We also lived in, I lived in, I still live in Miami, Florida. Tamika was in Spartanburg. Her mom was in Northern Virginia. Um, she had a lot of aunts and uncles up and down the East coast. And it wasn't uncommon for Tamika to just jump in her car and literally show up at your front door on a Saturday evening. She was very much a spontaneous uh, spirit like that. And we were alert. I got a phone call from a f- former boyfriend of hers named Terrence Moss and Terrence called me and I vividly remember not taking the call, sending it to voicemail because the last conversation that I had with Tamiko, which was maybe about a a week or so prior, uh, she had told me that her and uh, that she and Terrence had broken up. And I naively assumed that Terrence was calling me to get me to try to intervene in the relationship, which it wasn't uncommon. He'd he'd done that before in the past. So my instinct was I'm going to step away from, I don't, I don't want to get involved before I speak to Tamika. It's really important for me to call her. So I call her and um, she didn't call me back right away. Again, I didn't think about it. It wasn't uncommon for her to take more than 24 hours uh, to call me back. And it wasn't until I think it was 48 hours when my sister called me because she got the same phone call from Terrence. And that's when the hair just stood up on the back of my neck because I knew that something was wrong because I realized Tamika hadn't called, had not called me back. And that's unlike her. She wasn't going to let a ton of time go by. And especially when I pick up the phone and she's not answering still, I'm starting to, to freak out, especially as we're calling other people in the family. Hey, have you heard to Tamika? Have you heard from Tamika? When's the last time you spoke to Tamika? Uh, can you call her right now? Is she responding to you? And the answer was no, 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 no. Um, so uh, it was at that point where I get on my computer and again, I'm not, had never been to South Carolina um, that I recall knew very little beyond it was the place where Tamika lived and, you know, her dad lived and my sister lived at one point in her life when, when, when Tamika's parents were still married, but knew very little, get on the computer and try to figure out who, who do I report a missing person to? 
And obviously it's, a, it's an odd phone call. I'm, I'm sure they're getting, you know, a report of a missing person. The person's calling from Miami. Um, took a little bit of convincing, I think, to the to to, to the first person that, that I get, probably the desk sergeant or something is answering the phone. Um, but I'm really adamant that um, that there clearly has to be something wrong because she has we could at that point had, could gather that had been several days before uh, since the last time any of us had spoken to Tamika. Um, so we get uh, someone to go out and do a wellness check, kind of a, go around the perimeter of her house and nothing looked unusual. Um, that did really nothing to, to make me feel better because her, her vehicle wasn't there. Uh, so immediately I, I start making plane reservations and I'm, I figure I, I need to go and be there. I need to be face to face. I don't know if that I'm really getting through on the phone, the urgency of this situation. Again, it's an adult missing the, I think the natural expectations look, well, she, she may have gone on a vacation. She's certainly free to go where she'd like to wherever she'd like to go. So I just don't think I felt that urgency initially. So it was very important for me to get to Spartanburg and, and reach someone and, try to connect with someone face to face. You say that it it may have been an odd first call, but mm-hmm. I can tell you that you are the uh not the prototypical victim. Um I mean all victims are um are entitled to respect and fairness and to hear them out, but it is rare to have um a victim or a family member who is trained in the law and trained in public relations, trained in communications, and say, you know what, I'm I'm gonna hop on a plane and come down there. We'll have this conversation in person. What what was the reaction when you finally got to talk to detectives? Skip through the nine one one dispatch. Finally, right. the detectives. Um, it was. I think it was interesting. I think there maybe they were a little taken aback by by my persistence and um. Uh, you know, a gentleman who, you know, very well, uh, Steve Lamb, he was Lieutenant Lamb at the time, um, who was in charge of that, you know, the, the missing persons case I'm at homicide, I'm sure at that time, um, you know, his recollection is that I, I came in there and told him I would not leave until they put out a press release saying that they were looking for a missing person. And the reason was I was, I was certain I had already made, I had already drafted a press release. I had already sent them out to uh, all the local news stations and the Spartanburg Herald journal. But the problem was that, and certainly it, it, it makes sense from a law enforcement and a media standpoint. They wanted to hear from the Spartanburg Public Safety Department that there that this was an active investigation. They were looking for a missing person before they kind of went full court press on, on their coverage. So while they, you know, told me that they certainly they received my press release, um, but we really just need that to come from from the safety uh, public safety department. So I was insistent. I said, I really, in or, you know, in order for me to get her on the news here, this is something that I really need you to do. I'm telling you, my niece is not just would not go this many number of days without responding to my phone call, would not, you know, ignore her mother. There is something wrong. We don't know where her vehicle is. There's clearly something wrong here. Sit tight. We'll have more of this interview after this. 
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. By day two, I think, when I wasn't leaving, um, and uh, Lieutenant Lamb, they they did put out that that release, and it was very significant. It it it. We also, I, I want to say at this point, it wasn't just me. By I may have went, I went earlier in the week certainly, but by Friday, the rest of my family, including Tamika's mother, all descended upon Spartanburg from Nashville, you know, Springfield, Virginia. Uh, Austin, New York, Rich, Richmond, Virginia. Like we really just descended all of my siblings on Spartanburg. We were printing out flyers. We were putting them up everywhere that we could. Um, I was trying to, I created, a, we did like a candlelight vigil in Tamika's front yard just so I could have, I knew that the media, they want some visual um, that's why it's often done, not only for the prayers that are offered, but, you know, you want to give the media something to cover. And um, by Sunday, the, the media coverage uh, resulted in one of the, the biggest breaks in the case that the that the police received. And it was finding uh, there was a nearby apartment complex that Tamika had no known association with where they found her vehicle. Um and the woman who called in, it was she was able to she felt it was there at least probably maybe a period of 10 days or something. I, I forget exactly, but it had been there for some time, uh, just parked in the same place. I think the battery was stolen, but it was really the first break that we got in the case. And it also allowed the police to kind of classify now this as a criminal investigation allowed them to go get a new search warrant and actually go into Tamika's home. Um, so we found the car sometime that was a Sunday morning. I remember by that evening, by dusk, they were already searching inside of Tamika's home with the blue star luminol. It's called to blue star is just, I think another name for another brand name for it. And they were um, searching her home um, uh for for that's probably the most one of the most surreal experiences and they also found Tamika's dog in the home yeah that was actually that probably happened first it was Macy and Macy Tamika didn't have any children she treated Macy like her her baby and anytime she traveled she always had to find someone to watch Macy and bring Macy's toys and all the food for Macy and was very particular about the care of of uh, of poor Macy and Macy had given birth to a litter of puppies, which Tamika would have never left her alone um, in that state. And it was, it was just pretty, it's really a horrific scene um, uh, there. So you raise um, a fascinating point that I think could be of help to others. If they ever find themselves where you found yourself, which is, you you knew your family member, so you knew she would never leave Macy. She would never do this. I know my daughter. My daughter would save her dog in the case of a fire way before she saved her father. Uh, and, and actually, I, I'd probably save her dog before I saved myself, too. But you have to know the person. So when you're dealing with law enforcement, 
you may know something. How do you prove it to them? Because they're going to say, well, you know, he may be on vacation or may have just moved or taken a new job, but you know that is not true. You just can't prove it. It's it's a great it's a great point. And in the years since, and I've had um, a couple of opportunities over the years to advise families of of the missing, and particularly with, I think it happens with crime victims often. Um, and in missing persons cases that can be very slow to get off the ground. It was very important to me to develop a really good rapport and relationship with the investigators that were investigating Tamika's case. Certainly that's their job. They're going to do their job to their best of their, uh, the best of their ability. I I do believe that. Um, But it was really important for me to humanize Tamika to them so just in the way I would describe her or just being friendly with them, because I think oftentimes the communication can break down very quickly uh, between family members of the missing and law enforcement because you're you're distraught. You know, sometimes maybe they're not moving, particularly old with older missing persons with adults. There's, again, that first inclination that they may have be on vacation or they've gone off on their own, or there's, we're certainly, they have the right to their privacy and these sorts of things, but um, really maintaining, first of all, fostering and maintaining a positive relationship that can break down so quickly. If you're cursing out the, the guy who's charged with finding your missing loved one, I mean, it's, it's, it's human nature that um, again, I do believe that they will do their job, but maybe they don't have as much vested in it. There's not, you know, they're not, it's not going to be first and foremost on their mind, particularly in the case of missing persons. You have a small, Spartanburg public safety department. You know, we're not talking about New York city police. It's not a massive department. They don't have a cold case unit and um, separate units for missing persons. And it's, it's, it's a small department. So I remember there were murders being committed during the time that Tamika was missing that. So you have a body um, that, you know, a crime that needs to investigate. These are the same officers that that are also charged with, with um, finding Tamika. So her case could easily have just been kind of shuffled under newer crimes and crimes where you clearly, you know, the victim is right there in the morgue. Um, but there was the relationship that I that I continue to have with with the investigators was really important. And I, I something I stress to people all the time. It is vitally important is as hard as this is. You really gain nothing by um, right out the gate, just being very contentious with, um, you know, certainly be insistent and demand just like I was insistent that they needed to send out this release. Otherwise she's not going to get even on the local news. Um, but it's very important and something I will always preach to families of, of the missing um, to do your best to develop that relationship with. And I was uh, to this day, you know um, well now major lamb is someone who I will be forever grateful to and always respect uh, Jay Stedman, these, you know, these men really um, put their heart and soul into a, a case that went on for 15 months that at one point seemed like it had the leads were they were just pulling things out the air and they would listen to anything I would say. They would take whatever phone calls 
that that I, you know, whenever I called and sometimes it would be an off the wall tip that I heard from a friend of a friend of Tamika and Spartanburg, but they always um, treated me with respect and would follow up on information I gave them. I'm Trey Gowdy and we'll have more coming up. Rebecca, you put your finger on so many different issues. There is publicity to prove the inherent value in all missing people. And that's a really important conversation that we're not Mm going to pick who we value and who we don't. But then there's the more practical part that publicity actually helps solve the case. That question. Yeah. So some of the more significant leads came as a direct result of you successfully and you were phenomenal. However, you navigated it is the kind of the model for others, how others should navigate it because they loved and feared you. And the result was, and more, more importantly than either of those, they respected you, which means they listened to you. So aside from the issue of just proving the inherent value of people, no matter what they look like, and we're going to search for all missing people, there's a practical component to publicity, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Um, Without question, in Tamika's case, um, you know, people, I will say that people have questioned me before, you know, Tamika, she disappeared from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and she was found in a nearby town, Duncan, South Carolina. What is the importance of national publicity, because it's not like you found her in California. What, what is the, what is the significance? The significance is that, again, some of the biggest breaks that we had in the case came, came as a direct result of Tamika being on uh, America's Most Wanted. Um, for example, they found it, it was a huge, a, a witness came forward that was um, very integral, was able to identify things that happened in the crime, the, the crime scene. Um, it, the, there is just so much value and it, I was very naive, I think. So coming into this, you know, once we get the, the local media in, in Spartanburg, Greenville to pay attention that week, once I'm there and okay. So that, you know, things are moving there. They're paying attention now, particularly after the police noted this is a criminal investigation. We are actively searching for this woman and they were putting out their own releases. I was good. I felt very comfortable uh, with the way that things were in that market. So I head back to Miami. I you know, go back to, to work and I was fortunate enough to work for a, fir- a firm at the time that allowed me to essentially treat Tamika like one of my clients. And I honestly mean that. So I had other clients that I had to juggle at the time, but I could put aside a certain number of hours during working hours to make phone calls, to send emails, uh, to follow up with uh, assignment desks of all the, the you know, MSNBC, Fox News pitching every, there's a lot of more daytime talk shows, whatever I could do, I was reaching out to to everyone to get Tamika's um, story out there. And this is coming on the the heels of people like um, Chandra Levy in the early 2000s had become a household name because, and obviously it involved a, a member of Congress. 
in my mind, my niece is young and beautiful and people are, we have the dog here and this is just an awful crime. So the dog was eating, you know, puppies that had her puppies who had died for sustenance. Like there are details that I could, however you want to go, we can frame this story. I know how to do that as I can, because it's what I do for a living. And I was getting nowhere at first. Like I couldn't get people to return my phone calls on this story. There was just no response. And I was shocked, stunned. I was like, I was worried. I was like, if this is happening to me and I actually know what I'm doing and I know how to make these phone calls, I know who to contact. What happens to, you know, an aunt or a mom who's a nurse and has no, that's not her expertise. She doesn't know the first idea of how things even make it to television, how to get the attention. Um, and then I lost it. There was a one day Lori hacking on again, who that summer became a, a household name with round the clock coverage on the new, on the cable news network. She went missing and she, her story was being covered on that round the clock hourly updates, you know, top of the hour um, coverage by the same news networks that I had been blanketing with statements and photos and pitches. And that really, I think, sent me over the edge that the Lori hacking case. And, and again, it's not that obviously her family isn't a great that, that woman was killed as well. Her husband killed her and dumped her, I think, in a landfill. Awful story. I never and I always made it clear. It's not that I'm saying that she doesn't deserve the attention. Certainly, I, you know, the the attention that she got eventually, I believe it was so much pressure that made her husband confess to what he did. These things do matter. But perhaps and I would suggest at the time, if maybe if we covered it less like an ongoing soap opera, make room, let's make room for others. Um, because in a, in a way, the way the coverage, it becomes, it feels very exploitive in a way, you know, that obviously they're seeing the news stations are seeing their, 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 um, uh, the interest is up. Maybe there were people are responding to these stories online. So they're going to keep cranking out stories about it. And it's really to the exclusion of so many other people that really could use that help. Even if it's, and again, it doesn't have to be covered in a soap opera style. If we can just, you know, highlight some of these cases, find a way to highlight some of these cases. Um, it's it really helps to to uh, to hopefully either bring someone home alive, or you know, in our case, bring a resolution. We were able to at least know what what happened to Tamika. Uh, you were able to send him to jail. For, for to prison for for the rest of his life, those sorts of things matter. Um, it, it was such a great loss, but it, it did bring some closure to us after a very long fifteen months. Um, and media uh, was absolutely critical to to making that happen as as hard as it was at first. Yeah, I think you you prove the point, Rebecca, which is this intrinsic value thing. Who who gets to decide? which young women, which vulnerable adults are worth covering and which ones are not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the elephant in the room is whether or not women of color receive the same attention uh, as blue eyed blondes. And I don't blame the family at all. I would do everything in my power to make sure my loved one's case 
but I'm not the gatekeeper of who gets to see what. Did you ever get an explanation for why Tamika would not become a household name, but someone else would? No, it's interesting. One of the stories that that we did um, with uh, Dateline NBC and Josh Mankiewicz was the correspondent on that case. And I think by the time that Tamika started getting a lot of the national coverage, it just wasn't about her case. She became a symbol for this issue, for the missing white woman syndrome issue that uh, the late Gwen Eiffel had 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 uh, written uh, about to describe the way the me- the media and the nation becomes very just uh, fascinated with with young women that that fit you know a certain profile. They tend to be young, blonde, beautiful, blue eye. And um, so in this, my point is with this, the story that we did with with uh, Josh Mankiewicz and Dateline NBC, he was actually able to do something unique and get the president of NBC News to sit down for an interview. And I don't really think that we we got to the bottom of it. Um, you know, of course, he's the, the head of a network. Um, I think at a minimum, there's a little bit of admission that uh, there's a repetitiveness to what the news networks were doing. So if this works, if they found the formula that works, we're going to keep going with that. Just like, if, you know, if the network, their entertainment division finds that crime shows are working, they're going to be, you know, there's going to be six versions of law and order. You know, if it works, we're going to repeat it. And there, I think they, they fell into that trap. And it still goes on to this day. It came up again to me, kind of opened up an old wound with the Gabby Petito case. I think recently, just again, that obsessive, the entire nation becomes wrapped by this wrapped attention for the story. And um, you just know, you know, you know that there are other people out there suffering. You know that um, they really could use the help and the attention and it just made me feel like I, about what what really has changed in in um, not I feel like not much has changed since two thousand four, unfortunately. And that's the word I keep focusing on is the word help. We know it helps the family of whoever is missing. It helps them internally to know that other people are, are praying for them or actively helping them. It actually practically helps the investigation. We got a number of leads that ultimately led to a tragic but uh, but nonetheless necessary finding. She's mm-hmm. not out in the woods by herself, and the mm-hmm. person who did it is behind bar for the rest of his life. So if it's about helping, who gets to decide who gets that help? Yeah, I to me, I think it, what it comes down to is um, a lack of diversity in newsrooms. Um, I think that's important. I think that people tend to identify with, unfortunately, those who look like them. Um, so if it's if if it's a producer who's who's going to be obviously moved if the story that's being uh, comes across his desk looks like his niece or or his daughter. Um, and I'll tell you, in the case of uh, America's Most Wanted. Again, I couldn't get them to to cover Tamika's story at first. And you'd think it's a natural fit. It's a, I mean, it's literally what they do. Um, 
but I could really only get them to feature her on their website. I couldn't get them to do a story, but there was a young producer there. Her name is Tiffany Cross, who now is Tiffany Cross. She has her own show on MSNBC. Tiffany Cross was a young associate producer on um, uh, America's, America's Most Wanted at the time. And she somehow saw my pitches coming in. I wasn't sending them to her. I didn't know she existed. I was sending it to her, I think her boss's boss. And she was like, hey, let's, I think we should do the story. I think this is good. And, and they, 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 let, they let her do that story. The, that was the first time she was sent out as a field producer. And they, they sent her out to Spartanburg to do Tamika's story. And I credit her a lot for kind of trying to push, push that forward a bit. Um, because obviously she, the story resonated with her. She's about the same age as Tamika, very, felt very familiar and felt that it was something that was underrepresented. Um, so I, I, again, I give her a lot of credit. So it does matter. I think diversity in newsrooms, it, it matters. I think just making a cognizant effort to, um, to see value in the lives of everyone, whether they look like you, whether they don't look like you, really just valuing the lives of people. And um, that, that, to me, that's the only answer. That's our only way out of this. You just summarized the text I got from a friend of mine who happens to be an African-American United States senator from South Carolina, if that gives it away. <laughs> but we were talking about the value of seeing life through the eyes of someone else. Yeah. Because I've never, I don't know what it's like to be a black man stopped by law enforcement. I never right. will. Right. My only hope is that Tim can tell me. Right. And I don't know what it's like to be the parents of a woman of color who is missing and wondering why that is not getting attention. Right. But that should not keep us from asking the question of right. why. Why right. this family and not that family? So I think that's the best we can keep doing is uh, the model that you followed with Spartanburg Public Safety should be followed by everyone. This unique combination of I'm not going away. I'm going to be respectful, um, but we're going to find out. And yeah. they work their tails off. I, I, I know the guys you just mentioned. I think they would have worked no matter what, but the leads would not have come. The yeah. help would not have come. And right. that's ultimately what solved it. It was solved by a key on a keychain. Right. And, yeah. and it was a terrible ending, except you no longer have to worry or wonder where she is. Yeah. And why did he get away with it? Because we know where she is mm -hmm. and he didn't get away with it. And I think publicity helped solve that case, period. Oh, without, yeah, without question. W without question. It was, it was extremely important. Extremely important. Um, last question I have for you. I was disappointed that he pled guilty <laughs> uh, because it, I just was. Uh, yeah. We were going to win, yeah. but he got the same sentence he would have gotten after trial. And I'm always curious from the victim standpoint. I mean, the most you can get is life. Right. I mean, right. I looked at other options, but the most yeah. you can get for what he did is life. Yeah. Is there anything that came from him 
admitting it in court or would it have been better for you in terms of processing this horrific event had a jury of 12 rendered the verdict? That's a great question, um, Trey. I think that I, my feelings on that were very twofold. Um, first, I was disappointed that I couldn't be there for the trial. Uh, so I was pregnant with twins and on bed rest. I couldn't make the, the trip for the trial. I certainly was looking forward to seeing the evidence presented, having him to having to watch him sit there and have you present the evidence that probably would have been um, very difficult, but there would have been some level of satisfaction. And I too believe that he would have been convicted by a jury, but he's a coward. And ultimately, ultimately he decides on the day, I think we were supposed to do opening arguments. They were my family. The rest of my family was there. You were set to do opening arguments and, I think he was too much of a coward to to face it all. And ultimately, because of the, the sentence that he received, I think for Tamika's mom, for my sister, Gabriella, that was the best outcome. Now, if he if he if the judge hadn't thrown the book at him in the way that he did, she, she certainly would not have liked that. But I think it spared her him pleading guilty that day and then being sentenced was, I'm sure, shocked him. He didn't sure he or his attorney did not believe that that was going to be the sentence after a guilty plea. Um, I think that was the best, the best outcome for Gabriella. I think it would have really destroyed her even more to have to sit there and listen to the details. Cause I think I protected her from a lot of it because she was so very fragile. And um, so just throughout the investigation, I, I didn't tell her everything that, that I was learning from, you know, Lieutenant Lamb. I wouldn't give her every detail. And I was worried about just a lot that she would learn um, and, and how she'd be able to handle that. So ultimately, it, it worked out for the best, I think. Well, you probably know this because of your background as a lawyer, but the listeners may not. Ordinarily, you do get a little bit of a break if you plead guilty under this yeah. belief that you're saving the family from a trial or saving the risk of a not guilty verdict, although that was a pretty small risk in this case. You know, I went, I guess, a couple of months ago, I was talking with one of your friends and I went back. Not only did I have the opening statement drafted, I'd already drafted the closing argument, Incredible. which tells yeah. me. I really thought this thing was going to trial and he yeah. he pled and he got the exact same sentence that would that he would have gotten if he'd gone to trial and lost. So it's just shocking to me. The judge was the judge really shocked me. You know, well, I, that, <laughs> it was a shocking crime. It was a shocking yeah. crime. Yeah. And look, 30 years is a long time. And I've had people get 30 years. It's day for day in South Carolina. So there's no parole. Yeah. But it is another way of saying we valued this life. This yeah, life is, is worth the yeah, maximum more. penalty. And he really did some heinous things, you know, like we, we one of the things that my sister still struggles with to this day, she feels she never was able to bury all of Tamika. You know, this animal <laughs> went and dug up part of her remains in some scheme. He thought that he was going to be concealing her identity. I, I honestly don't know. And you know, threw her in the garbage and we never recovered all of her remains. So there is a lot that he certainly did enough to, to warrant where he is and will be for the rest of his life. The depravity of having sex 
forget about the fact that it's an underage girl, the depravity of having sex while there literally is a body that you just killed in the closet. Stuffed in the closet. I think uh, the jury would not have been out very long. Um, But I do believe, and it's nothing more than a belief. I can't prove it. I do believe that she is whole now. So your sister does not need to worry about that. She's whole. That's what I always reminded her. Yeah. And... Yeah, absolutely. We would all be lucky to have an advocate like you, Rebecca Howard. So um, thank you. If I go missing, you come down here because I can tell you it's probably going to take my wife a month or so. Maybe she's just going to think, well, that's a long round of golf. So you come down here and you. (laughs) okay, and I'll make sure. All right. You take Major Lamb's door again. Well, he he probably. I don't know. I've made those guys so mad when I was a DA. He may be a suspect of I'm missing. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll get to the bottom of it. I know you will. And thank you All for right. helping us see this issue in a new and different and better light. All right. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thanks. And thank all you right. all for joining us on Tuesdays with Trey. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.